encouraging. We don't knock that off. <laughs> so, let me just put that there. The train. Yeah. This is how God showed me the church. Different fellowships, in a sense, are different churches. You know, because unless you believe that God has called you to this church, you're in the wrong church. But if God has called you to this church, you need to get on board with where this church is going. So, I've entitled this Get On Board. Let's look at the background of trains just for a, a couple of minutes. First of all, trains involve people. So who are we? Well, I'm talking to fellow travellers. Those with a ticket to ride this train. Johnny Cash sang there that the train's free. It's free to us, but it cost God everything. It cost him his only begotten son for us to ride this train. Have we got a ticket to ride this train? Our ticket is Jesus. He bought it. He bought the ticket with his life. And authorised it. With his death. And resurrection. Jesus said I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the father. Except through me. Says John 14 verse 6. So what Jesus tells us. So you want a ticket to ride, you've got to have Jesus. That's the first thing to realise. But a little warning, I was once on a train. And when we got off at Salford Central, there were police and ticket inspectors. And everyone had to show a ticket before they were allowed off. And if they didn't have a ticket, they were taken to one side by the police and dealt with. It's no different with this train we're riding. You see, there's a lie that goes around that says, oh yeah, if you come to church, you'll go to heaven. That's not what the Bible tells us, is it? I come to church because I want to be with like-minded people who've accepted Jesus Christ as a saviour. But there are those who may be under the misapprehension that Yeah, I've come to church, so everything's okay. That is not the truth of the Bible. Jesus said, I am the way. Literally, his body, his crucified and resurrected body, is the way to God. Literally. We need to realise that. So just in case there are any in here who may feel challenged, maybe they're a little bit worried as to uh, what's going to happen when they get to the other end, Well, we can sort that out for you. You see, there is a passage in Matthew 7, verse 23, where Jesus warns. There are those that came to him and said, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal people in your name? And Jesus said, depart from me. Depart from me, you lawless people. So, in a sense, they were riding the train, but they hadn't got the ticket. They hadn't accepted them as their saviour. They were using the power that is in his name. You see, I believe the power is in the name and the person of Jesus Christ. The fact that he imparts that into us, it comes from his name. 
You see, demons will always obey the name of Jesus. Always. They have to because he's above them and rules over them. And so, of course, if someone uses Jesus' name to a demon, they're going to have to back off. The demon, that is. But they were fooling themselves because they hadn't accepted Jesus Christ as the saviour. So what I want to just clear up now is, so we've got no illegal passengers in this train, is how we do that. Well, I was a sinner. I did all the things that we know sin means. We might find the word offensive, but it's a fact. They're listed in the Bible, and I believe that inside each man there is a conscience and woman. And we know when we've done wrong, really. We try and justify ourselves, but we know. And so we might find ourselves bound up in all kinds of things. It can be activities whereby we break the law. We steal. We may be in activities that actually don't damage other people so much as they damage us. Because, you know, I got on the streets on a Thursday night into Bolton with a guy named Roger. And we deliberately, God's called us to go and speak to those who are damaging their own bodies. Who are finding themselves sleeping in shop doorways. Because of their substance misuse and abuse. And we take them the only hope they've really got. And his name is Jesus. You see, that is a form of sin. Because that addiction that they have has taken the place of what could be God. But the addiction now is what they need. It's the addiction that they live day by day for. Not for God. But God's heart is that we would live day by day for him. And so, here we are. We're facing that situation. So, we need to deal with it. Yeah, the the world out there has put all kinds of things in place. They've got prisons for those that steal. They've got uh, rehab centres and drugs to give the drug addicts. It sounds very bizarre, but... You know, and they justify it and say, well, yeah, that, that helps, you know, it, it, it helps them in their problem. It does, but it doesn't cure the problem. It doesn't deal with the issue of why they're in that situation in the first place. It doesn't deal with that. But you see, God has the answer. His name is Jesus. If we come to him, recognise that we have sinned against God, not just against man, but against God, in whatever form that takes, whether it be my alcoholism or my violence with martial arts or your, you know, drugs that you took or your whatever you do um, or did, we are all in the same boat together. There's no one in this room pointing the finger at anybody else because we're all in that same boat. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So no need to sit in here feeling, oh dear, you know, he's condemning me. No, it's not about that. We are all in the same boat. But the great news is that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a perfect life. He never knew any sin. He never sinned. Forget the lies that people tell you in these documentaries on television. He never sinned. The Bible tells us that. That was why he became the perfect sacrifice. You see... God warned mankind right back at the beginning with Adam that if they messed about with sin, they would surely die. And just as we surely die, God had to make a way whereby we could surely live again. And he did that through Jesus. So what we need to do is accept that sacrifice that we celebrate at Easter time. Accept that God sacrificed his life for my life. His for mine. That's where the Bible says my life is no longer my own. I've accepted that sacrifice. He's bought my life. He's bought it back from death. 
He's brought it back from the power of sin. I now have choices. I can choose not to sin. Before, my sin defined who I was. Everybody knew Dave as, oh, he's a great guy. He'll get drunk with you. Oh, he's a great guy. If you get in a fight, he'll beat him up for you. You know, all those kind of things. We've got to realise the mess that we were in. But you see, Jesus came to deal with that and he dealt with it on a cross. He took, he says, by his stripes we are healed. He took all the infirmities that we might have, all the sicknesses and diseases and all the sin that we've committed and the world has committed. He took the whole lot upon himself on that cross. <coughs> he even was separated from God. Do you know, because he had to, he had to in, in a sense, he, he had to go into hell, into the depths of hell. My God, my God, he cried out from the cross. Why have you forsaken me? The Father and the Son were separated for the only time in eternity. And they were separated so the Son could take your punishment and my punishment instead of us taking it. So the answer is to come to Jesus. To acknowledge who we are or who we were. And to say, Lord, I accept your sacrifice. I accept you paid the price for me. Please come into my life. Father God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Because of your son, Jesus Christ, forgive me. And then, Lord Jesus, enter in. By your Holy Spirit, come and live in me. Dwell in me. The Bible says to those who are believers, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Elsewhere it says, this same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. Wow. No wonder we can come off the alcohol. No wonder we can come off the drugs. No wonder we can stop stealing. No wonder we can stop committing adultery or whatever else is going on in people's lives. Or those dirty films that we watch in secret when everyone else has gone to bed. They can be dealt with. There is nothing but nothing that we are going through in our lives that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God cannot deal with. I'm telling you right now, I throw the challenge out. If they're not dealing with it, it's because you're not receiving it. It's as simple as that. Obey the Word of God and it works. Ignore the Word of God and it's at your peril. So if there's anyone in here that thinks, hang on, I didn't have a ticket. All you've got to do is pray this prayer. Invite Jesus in. Acknowledge you're a sinner. And ask God to forgive you. And then turn around. Take on the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to turn away from that sin that we committed. So readily committed at times. So easily. Actually enjoyed doing. We can turn away from those things now. And do the things that please God. And if you've prayed that in your heart now, then you're on board. You're on board with the rest of us. It's that easy. No, you haven't got to put 50 quid in the collection and then 100 next week and 1,000 the week after in order to get on board. No, you haven't. It's not about that. There's only one thing God wants you to give to get on board and that's your heart. To hand your heart over to him and say, I'm yours now, Lord. And you're on board. So let's get on the train, eh? Let's move on. Who are we? Well, hopefully now we're all legal. Passengers rather than illegal. But you know, there aren't just passengers on trains. There's crew. What about the crew? I'll tell you what, the train goes nowhere without crew. If it hasn't got a driver, if it hasn't got, in the old days, someone stoking the fire with coal. Nowadays it'll be the, you know, the guard and whoever else that 
that's needed and then the array of people outside but without the crew the train goes nowhere passengers oh well they sit back passengers sit back and listen to their music you know you see them now on the trains they've all got phones out things plugged in their ears and away they go they even, even charge them up now can't you on the train as you're going everything's made there for your comfort that's a passenger looking out the window music in the ears looking out at the view as, we, as it sails by all's right with the world for passengers while crew crew have purpose and more importantly crew have work to do yeah that's the big two differences. Crew have purpose and work to do. Passengers just sit back with their feet up. Passengers are only interested in themselves. When I'm a passenger on a train, I'm not bothered about anybody else. I want my seat. You know, I want it just to be right for me. I want to be just close enough to the toilet in case. And I want to be where they bring the trolley around so I can have some food. And all of those things. You know, it's all me, me. That's a passenger. While the crew are focused on the passengers, getting them from A to B. The crew are accountable to the company's MD and CEO, you know. Passengers help themselves to whatever is on offer. Yeah, I'll have this off the trolley and I'll have that off the trolley. Crew help one another by working together and follow management instructions to accomplish the purpose of the journey. You notice the differences there in the two. But why and where are we going on the train? Well, we use a train to go somewhere usually, either to a specific destination or just to take in the views. Nowadays they advertise train trips, don't they, where it goes through some of the most beautiful countryside, so they tell us, in, in the British Isles. So people will go on that train just for that purpose, to sit back and enjoy the beautiful views. So we've got trains that go somewhere to specific destinations. Or we've got trains that are just there so you can take in the views. Both have an objective in one sense. But the first one, going somewhere, implies effort with commitment to a purpose you know the purpose is to get from A to B the other one is merely passing time away really that's all it's doing I've got some spare time I'll sit on that train and I'll watch the trees go by and I'll look at the lakes and I'll look at the mountains and oh everything's wonderful in the world and that's the other one I'll let you into a secret probably lose all my cred now but I've got a model railway at home it has two tracks on it. <coughs> One goes from station A and winds its way around and goes all the way around to station B with stops in between. The other is a circular route and the train starts from station A and goes round and comes back to station A. Yeah? Both are routes but one is going somewhere and achieves a purpose. The other goes round and round, literally going nowhere. 
I can run the same train on either of the tracks. That's the interesting thing. The same train with its carriages and little model people in them. Could be human beings. One's just going round and round and round and round and round. In here, out there, in here, out there, round and round. The other one, same group of people, same train, goes to the destination. That's really what God was laying on my heart. So it matters which train we're on. It matters where our spirit is allying itself. Who to and what to. It matters. How does a train get anywhere? Well, it runs along a clearly defined track on a pre-planned route. It's not a free agent to trundle where it wants. Not like a car where the driver turns the wheel and says, I think I'll go right now and now I'll go left. The train, it's all planned out. When it comes to an intersection, the points are already changed to direct the train off to wherever it's going. And then it'll come to the next one and the points are already set to take it somewhere else. So it's a preset route. And I believe for church that actually God has a preset route for this body of people here and for the other body of people over there and for the body of people up there and for the body of people on the other side of the world. God has a purpose for each church. Ultimately, it's the gospel. But in between, it's to build us up, to prepare us, to change us. So we're not free agents. And the train has a crew headed up by the driver. He's the one that takes overall responsibility on the train, the driver, who takes the route that's planned for him. All he's got to do is ensure that he stops at the right places and goes at the right speeds, etc., etc. That's his job. And then there's various staff members, including guards and all sorts of people to assist him. But the whole thing would be inoperable without massive support from beyond the train itself, from the chief executive officer, right at the top of the the ladder, as it were, right down to the cleaners uh, and every skill that's needed to operate that train. You know, platform attendants, all sorts of people. They're all there. Signal, the signal operators that move the points, everybody working towards getting that train from A to be. So if you'll hold that thought, please, on how trains operate, then we can translate this now into our glory train that we just heard about. Hopefully some of you have already begun to get that, that that's what this is about. Who are we? Well, hopefully we're a bunch of people of individuals who've repented and trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin been born again and are called together by the Holy Spirit of God on our journey to glory. But we must ask a question, a very serious question of ourselves: What kind of traveller am I? Am I merely a passenger or am I a member of the crew? Am I just here for the ride? Am I just happy to come and go, come and go, come and go? 
totally unfulfilled or am I wanting to be a member of the crew do I want to get stuck into God's work stuck into God's ministry what God's got for this body of people so rather than being on the outside we're actually on the inside as it were of the body when I think back to the beginning of my faith journey with Jesus I was on fire for him I couldn't do or say enough in fact, I annoyed people as well as the devil with my enthusiasm. People started to avoid me. Oh, he's only going to talk about Jesus. I'm getting out of the way of that fruitcake. And so it goes on. But after a while, I unknowingly cooled off. We can sometimes, you know. We don't, really, we don't even notice it's happened to us. I'd quietened down. I'd become docile to the point where I annoyed no one. Especially the devil. I'd become a passenger. No longer working for the railroad. Just along for the ride. Waiting to arrive in heaven. Then one day. I heard God's wake up call. And realised that it wasn't just about me. This is not about me. It's about him. It's about us. And it's about them. Yeah? That's what this is all about, this journey. You see, with God, it's as much about the journey and what we do on that journey as it is about the fact that we're going to glory. Do you understand that? He's not looking for passengers except to turn us into crew. Yeah, we'll all get on board at first as a passenger. But gradually, when you read this word of God, it's all about turning us into crew. Useful. Useful parts of the body of Christ. What he's doing is turning this lawless sinner into a holy disciple. That's what he's doing. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, says James 1, verse 22. So many of us at times have been guilty of it. We come in and we sit and we listen to the sermon. And so that was interesting. Pity so-and-so wasn't here to hear that one. You ever thought that? I have. (laughs) I throw my warts out to you first. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. Singing choruses and listening to sermons may please us on a personal level. But unless we mean and do what they say, we're never going to fulfil our potential within the kingdom of heaven. If that's all we're doing is coming, you know, singing like we've just done and they're great and they're powerful. I'll tell you what, when the heart opens up to those things, I believe stuff happens inside us and happens around us. You know? We're saying with the word of God. We can hear it. Or we can let it become, as James calls it, an implanted word. But he equally says, with humility, receive the implanted word. Humility takes away pride. Humility softens the heart so that we can receive the word and that word can take root in us and that word can transform us. That word can empower us. That word can guide us. You know, we can be stuck in all kinds of dilemmas and, you know, things that doctors put labels on. 
And at the end of the day, actually the reason we're in that situation is because we're not obeying the word of God. We're fighting against the word of God because my heart wants to do something else. Even though the word of God says, no, that's not right for you to do. Yeah, but I want to do that. And so what happens is we become sick because we're wrestling with God in those things. But if we take with humility and receive the word and say, okay, I ain't liking this. It's not what my flesh wants, but I know it's what you want for me, God, because you know what's best for me. Therefore, I'm going to stop wrestling with you and I'm going to start to become a doer of your word in my life. If it says don't do this, I ain't going to do it. If it says do that, that's what I'm going to do. And so we need to realise these things. Without it, we're never going to become the crew member that God wants us to be. We'll always be a passenger, struggling, won't even be a comfortable passenger at times because we're wrestling with God. And then we start taking it out on the ones that are doing things. Start criticising them and say, why are they always doing this? Why are they getting that? Why are they seeing these miracles and I'm not seeing these miracles? I'll tell you why, because they're doing it and we're not. That's the reason it happens that way. And yes, we are all going to be held accountable by this CEO. And by the way, our CEO is, is the Lord God. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Speaking to believers now. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Romans 14 verses 10 and 12. We are found righteous because of faith in the cross, as I mentioned earlier, for our redemption from sin. True enough. Therefore, this verse can't be referring to what we've done wrong in the sense of with Christ. But rather... I believe it's what we did right with him. That's what we're going to be judged on. What did we actually do with our salvation? What we actually did we do with the Holy Spirit who dwells in us? Were we selfish about it? Or did we go and do what God calls us to do? And that's to share. To show love to one another. That's the most powerful thing next to the Holy Spirit. In this church will be your love for one another. By this, Jesus says... They will know who you are. And then, of course, the Great Commission wouldn't be fulfilled without, as Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, etc. But he said, and your neighbour as yourself. So then that's when we go out there and we take the love that we have for one another in here and we take it out there and we love the sinners. We love the ones that seem to be unlovable. Why? Because God loves them with a passion. He died for them. Just like he died for me and he died for you when we were just like them out there. We're the ones that stick labels on people and say, oh yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad a sinner as they were. That's rubbish. Sin is sin. We've got to get out of that. We've got to realise that God is hungry to receive the most vilest of sinners as he is to receive what some of us might think are the most nicest of sinners. Yeah? So there we are. Surely from scripture we can see, as I said earlier, that as disciples we're not just passengers along for the ride. But that we are the Lord's crew working for him and not for ourselves. Ministries are not meant to be for ourselves. All the ministries that that God gives to the church are for the body of the church. To build the body of the church up. For one to have a gift in this and another one to have a gift in that. Someone to have a ministry in that and someone to have a ministry in that. Bring us all together. You know, and even if you feel, well, I haven't got any ministry. 
we've all got a prayer ministry. Every single one of us has got a prayer ministry. So there's no one to be obsolete in this building. No one. But don't use prayer as a cop-out. Because I'll tell you what, when you start looking at prayer in depth, prayer is pretty... It, it wears you out, you know. If you're really praying, it tires you out. Because you've got to have your heart and soul in that prayer. We're not talking about our value out in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom will never live. No, that's not prayer. Those words Jesus gave us to show us what the content of prayer is. Time to preach on that now, but you know, it's about the content of prayer. That's what he was talking about there. Glorifying God, first of all, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he goes on to the next step. And then to, so if we bring that content into our prayer, we're pretty well going to cover everything that needs to be covered. So there we go with that one. Prayer is vitally important, a very powerful ministry. Yet it's, in most churches, the least attended meeting of all. Very strange. Each of us has a part to play in God's plan and vision for this church's journey. Every single person in this room has a part to play. Whether you choose to play that part is your business. But one day, as I've read earlier, you will be accountable to Jesus. Because he's going to ask you the question, why not? Why not? Why didn't you? That's what he's going to ask. Each of us has a place in God's crew. His team. You see, teams work together for the good of the team and its purpose. That's why we need this love for one another. This love for one another is what will draw us to work together for one another's good. So that we're getting alongside one another. Supporting one another. Not pulling each other down, but lifting each other up. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. And we do have very clear instruction and purpose from above. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, and I include women in this one, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good works. You see, the end result of that, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good works. 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 and 17. We ain't got no excuses. There's no, well, God, you know, yeah, I would have done, but I couldn't because I didn't know this and I couldn't because I'm strong enough to do that. It's all there for us. There is a part to play for every single person in this room. So where are we going? Well, our journey does have a destination. But how we get there is also very important to God. So it's not meant to be a circular sightseeing trip. We're going from here to there. Where are we going? Well, for starters, with a bride. Let me just read something to you. Revelation 19, only a couple of verses. Revelation 19, verses 7 to 9. 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give him, that's uh, God, the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wow, do you see this as your train? This is a wedding train as well. And we're the bride. Jesus is the groom. That's what the Bible teaches us. We're allowed to get excited, you know. Some of you sat there thinking, I'll tell you what, I don't know whether I dare ask the question, but on your wedding day, weren't you excited? Probably nervous as well, but weren't you excited? Well, we need that excitement now. We're going to our wedding. We're not in a limo being driven round the block waiting for the groom to arrive because he's late before the bride can come in. I'll tell you what, our groom is on time. He's waiting there for the glory train to arrive with his bride on board. Hallelujah. Get excited. Oh, he's making me want to work though. No, I'm not. I don't want to make you do anything. You accept it and take this word and, and deal with it in your own consciences. But here we are. Note how the bride's linen are the righteous acts of the saints. I like that one. I believe that acts require action. And if you want a picture of where we'll be, well, you can read it for yourself when you go home. We haven't time this morning because obviously I've got to try and cover as much of this as I can. Revelation 21, verse 2 to, and 9 to the end. Revelation 21, verse 2, and then verse 9 to the end. It will give you a fantastic picture of what it's going to be like. Yes, it's all done with, you know, symbolism of gold and rubies and so on. But what a glorious, glorious place this train's going to. Not only have we got the wedding where we're going to get married to our groom, Jesus Christ. We've got a fantastic place to live with him in. Absolutely glorious. It's interesting because a lot of train stations have posters up, don't they, with pictures of where the trains go to. That's just one of ours. There's plenty more you can find, but I just pop that one in there. We're going to a glorious place. Yet many Christians and churches seem to get stuck on the spiritual merry-go-round of visiting church week in, week out, but without being church. I'll just briefly unpack it. It's Sunday. Oh, better get a move on. They start at half ten. Right, I'll just about, yeah, get in here on time. Better finish at twelve. Done my hour and a half. I'm off, you know. And then we're out because we've got other things to do. There's a big match on down the road this afternoon, isn't there? <coughs> we're probably on opposite sides of the match, anyone that supports football. But, you know, or it can be dinner with somebody. You've arranged dinner, so we've got to get away. Or we've arranged to do this, we've got to get away. Hang on a minute. We are responsible for our diaries. What we arrange for Sunday is down to us. Nobody makes us arrange these things. We choose to. And yet we've got God in a box. An hour and a half on a Sunday. This is a great church. You're one of very, very few churches that have an evening service each week. Very few churches do that. A gospel service in the evening. 
And don't sit there and think, oh yeah, it's only a gospel service, so I won't go. It's uh, Vera's on the telly at eight o'clock, so I won't go to that. No. I never, ever stop being excited by the gospel. Do you know why? Because it was life and death to me. It brought life out of death. So I get excited every time I hear someone preach the gospel. We should be there. We should be bringing people. I'm a big believer in going out into all the world. But if we're not able to go out, then yeah, bring them in. You know? But we've got to realise these things. Being church is being active. You see, if you're just a comer and a goer and a comer and a goer, then you're not really being church. You're part of church. You know? It's a bit like going to the club down the road. If you're a member of a club, isn't it? You just go there then go home and then go there and come home but you see that's not what this is this is supposed to be our life story this is our life with Jesus this is our life together and no we might not have liked each other out there because maybe one supports one team and one supports another or one likes knitting and one doesn't you know let's not be sexist about this but you know some guys go to football as well and some women knit just so you can't get me on sexism (laughs) but at the end of the day it's not about that it's about life it's about what's going on in here in the heart in each one of us what is God calling us to be and do on this journey that's what we've got to consider so that we need to be church not coming to church or going home from church. I believe that church starts now and doesn't even end by this time next week because it goes on and it goes on. Church is our life. We are called to be the body of Christ. So I don't, I, I'm not into switching off when I go home. I'm not a different person out there than in here. That's, that's really superficial, isn't it? So whatever we are here, we should be there. Or sometimes you can be trapped because you keep visiting the same old hurts. But without addressing them. You know, we've got issues. We all of us brought baggage. And we'll look at that very briefly later on if we get that far. But we've all of us got baggage that needs to be dealt with. But you know, if we don't deal with it, the baggage slows us down. The baggage holds us back. The baggage actually keeps making us go from A to A. Because God wants to deal with the baggage and get the baggage out of the way. And then it can start, we can start going from A to B. We can really feel part of the the gospel train, the glory train that is Maitland. But sometimes we feel outside of that. We We feel detached from it. Why? Because we've got blockages in our life that God wants to deal with. And once they're dealt with, we come on board 100% then. It's about recognizing what issues are we having to deal with in our life. And I, you know, I don't need to know your, your issues. All I need to know is the answer, and you need to know the answer. The answer is the Spirit of God and the Word of God and our obeying the Word. And that answers everything from, you know, being sick with this and that and the other. By faith, believing that Jesus has already dealt with it on the cross. Right down to being depressed, because usually with that comes... That either we've got a deep hurt inside us that's, that, that's been done to us and we've not been able, we think we've forgiven people but we haven't. 
But forgiveness is the most powerful situation in that. Otherwise it can be willfulness on our part. That we're doing something we know we shouldn't be doing. But we want to do it. But the spirit of God's challenging us. And, and, and we're getting all screwed up. No. Obey the word of God. Obey the word of God. And it's dealt with. I make it very simplistic. But it is you know. God didn't make this difficult. He made it as simple as he could make it. He died for us. He doesn't expect us to all get crucified. In the physical. Although there is a passage that says being crucified with Christ. That's put into death all the stuff I've just talked about. Killing it off. Don't, don't let our pride get in the way. Be humble as James says. And receive the implanted word. But there's also another very dangerous one. And I believe we've come into the times now. Where people are de- desiring dangerous popular teaching. You know. There's nice sermons you know. I just want to listen to nice sermons. I want to come in there and feel all cosy and lovely. And, you know, because it's a horrible world out there. So I want to be able to just come in here and and feel nice. And then take that nice feeling with me when I go home. And sit at home and feel nice. You know? That's... Jesus warns us about this. We're warned. We're warned in Timothy. God's speaking. We said, hold, hold... The word of God here, it's all inspired by God. So in Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 verses 3 and 4, it says this. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their eyes from the truth. They will invite preachers back who preach lovely, nice, popular messages. The time will come when that's all they will want and won't want it. I don't believe that that's an entirety. I believe it is in parts of the church. I equally believe there are parts of the church that are hungry for the word of God, that want to change, that want to receive that word. They want it to be implanted into them, just like a heart transplant or a, you know, a kidney transplant or whatever, where it becomes part. And I hope and pray that's this church I have a sneaky feeling it is I know it's the pastor's desire you know and I know of other churches that are absolutely hungry you know I'm just waiting for them to throw the clock away and say come on I want more of God I want to know more of what God's saying to my life I don't, I'm not bothered about going watching the Coronation Street omnibus I, I can miss that that ain't going to alter my life one little bit apart from make me more depressed than I already am you know Oh, you watch the other one from down south and that'll make you more angry than you ever were. You know? We've got to watch what we're being fed. I'm not here, that's not really in in the sermon, but there's a big issue going on with what we as Christians are watching. And, And at times, how we're bending, as it were, what God's word tells us, you know? Some... Stuff that I've, I've heard some pastors have recommended films. Gene will tell you, certain pastors have recommended us to watch, oh, you want to watch this film, it's brilliant, watch it. We only get about less than five minutes into the film before all this vile, absolutely corrupt language comes out of the mouths of the actors. And we think, what? And so-and-so told us to watch this. You know. I went back and asked one of them, how come you? Oh, well, I just closed my ears to that bit. I said, but you don't know, it's, you don't know what they're going to say till after they've said it. It's already gone in. They've already declared Jesus Christ as a swear word or whatever else. You know, they've already blasphemed in that context. It's too late saying, well, I'll turn it off after you've heard it. 
the best thing to do is don't watch it in the first place. So anyway, I don't want to go back on that one, but do we realise what's going on here? We are being dumbed down. In many cases, we're being sold a lie. I've heard it preached. You don't need to preach the gospel to anybody because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But then they miss out the bit that whosoever believes on him shall not perish. They miss that bit out and say God loves the whole world. And if God loves the whole world, he couldn't possibly send them to hell. They must all be going to heaven. That's an offence to the cross. And yet it's being preached in churches. So we've got to be so careful here. We know what should be happening, but quite often we're content to, to just keep on with the easy stuff. We don't want to be challenged at times. I've had enough of being challenged. No. I, can, I don't believe any of us get enough challenge, including me. Since I've come into this ministry, I get challenged more than ever because before it ever challenges you, the word challenges me. You with me on that one? I'd be a hypocrite if it doesn't, wouldn't I? So I'm not worth listening to. It does challenge me. And I'll be honest, sometimes I do what we all probably do. I think, yeah, but it's all right. I'll leave that one till later, God. You know, let's, let's do this one first. But no, we need to be challenged. You won't change. None of us will ever change without challenge. Ever. We'll just carry on, same old, same old, without challenge. That's what happens. So here we are at times... Any of us can be like Israel in the exodus from Egypt, wandering around in circles of faithless disobedience outside of God's planned, purposed route for us, not addressing spiritual issues and only coming back on track through his drastic intervention. That journey of exodus took 40 years and it could have taken a matter of months. Yet it took 40 years, not because of God, but because God was having to take them around in circles because they wouldn't obey him. They wouldn't trust him. They were disobedient to him. And there was one part where it says here in Deuteronomy 2 verse 3, God speaks to them and says, you have skirted, that circled round, this mountain long enough. Turn northwards. And I say to you, church, you'll know who you are. Some of you have skirted this mountain of whatever issue you've got in your life And God's saying today, you've skirted it long enough, now deal with it. Deal with it. He gave them direction, go northwards. And I believe in his word, he'll give you direction and he'll tell you what to do. Figuratively speaking, come on, you've gone round this issue for long enough, deal with it. This is how you're going to deal with it, go northwards. That's figurative of of whatever he's going to tell you to do from his word and by his spirit. But church, we need to do that. And then we need to do it as a body of people. Come on, people. God's saying, you've skirted this mountain long enough. In and out, in and out. Do, do the okie and turn around. That's what it's all about. No, it's not. It's not. This is not. I don't believe for one minute. I love, I love meeting together. I love the Lord. And I love singing praises and worship. But it's not fun and games. Jesus died a horrible, horrible death on a cruel Roman cross to deal with my sin. To make me into a new creation. Read Ephesians 4. The giftings there, the ministry giftings. What to do? To make us become imitators of Christ. 
to make us Christ-like. It's not. Yes, be happy. Be full of joy. Please be full of joy. I believe I'm, I'm as happy-go-lucky as anybody. But boy, I take this seriously. Why? Because God takes it seriously. So much so that he gave his only begotten. So, you know, that's the wake-up call for us. What issues in our heart are trapping us, causing us to go around? Deal with them. Speak to the pastor. Speak to someone whom you can trust that you know is going to give you good counsel, though, and give you, you know, and pray with you and deal with it. And when you've prayed with it and dealt with it, leave it dealt with. Don't pray one thing and then go home and start carrying on doing the same thing again. When it's dealt with, leave it dealt with. And yet it'll be painful at times. Yet it will go against everything. It probably will wrench your heart out at times. Because you see, the flesh is so powerful. The flesh will really, really make you hurt when you try and follow the Spirit. Because it doesn't want you to. Paul says that. The mind is deceitful and desperately wicked. So don't follow your mind. Follow the Word of God. Follow the prompting of the Spirit of God. Yeah, deal with the pain. It's worth it. You know, I play football on a Monday night and I get hacked about a few times, get knocked over. And boy, as you get older, you feel it more, you know, but it's worth it. And I say that to each one of us spiritually. It's worth it. What issues have we got? Are we rebelling against God's word? Is it laziness? Is it sickness? I can't do anything because I'm, I'm ill. No, you can still pray. Past hurts and present, like I've just mentioned. Or even fear of change. That's a biggie in the church today, you know. I'm okay as I am. I know what I know, and that'll do me. You know? Oh, hang on. I don't believe there's anyone on this planet knows everything about that word of God. Nobody. Especially me. Well, I tell you what, I get excited when I discover something. And it changes me. That's where we've got to be, church. Otherwise, we're going to limit God. If you don't believe you can, well, I'm telling you, you are doing in those things. Yes, again and again, they, that's Israel, tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They tempted him in the way that they behaved. It tested God's patience. Fortunately, he never gave up on them, did he? Took 40 years, but he got them there. So listen to it again. Again and again, they, again and again, us, tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Our attitude, our attitude towards ourselves. I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that. All those things, you know, will limit what God can do through us. Not because he's limited in the sense we've limited ourselves. We're the ones that are putting the limits on. And so we need to realise that. We really do. This train of ours will get us anywhere. It'll never get us anywhere unless it stays on God's track instead of our own. Thankfully, we have a great executive. It's the Holy Spirit. I believe he's the executive of God. He's the one that waited patiently at the creation it says he hovered that means he waited purposefully ready to give birth as it were like a, a you know like a woman who's pregnant waits nine months patiently 
to give birth. That's how the Holy Spirit was at creation. And as soon as God said, let there be, bang, the executive, the Holy Spirit went into action. And things began to materialise out of nothing. It's fantastic. And he's still able to do that today in our lives. And the life of the church. And the life of those people outside there. But he needs our cooperation. He needs our cooperation. God doesn't work like a magician that tries to pull a rabbit out of a hat and amaze everybody. God wants people who will cooperate with him, who will partner with him, who will allow his spirit to work in them and then out from them. But to cut it short, I was going to mention the stations and, and just talk about them I'm not going to but we've got to realise just as we're coming to an end we've got to realise that the train does want to stop at stations God wants us your pastor will have ideas of the stations he wants to call at I'm just going to list them I'm not going to go into the detail of them I've put the first one down here as holiness little talked about today in the church that word holiness but it says in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay Gold and silver is holiness, wood and clay is the flesh, is sin. And it will be in here, there will be gold and silver and there will be wood and clay. God wants to cleanse us of the wood and clay. But that's our, uh, yeah, of the wood and clay. And that's our responsibility to cooperate with him and let him do that. To let him deal with our heart. That's our responsibility. So holiness is a biggie to call at. And then we must stop at faith. You see, it's impossible to please God without faith, the scripture tells us. I'm not going to unpack them at all because we've got time. So faith, we need to really be looking at that faith. So it's a non-negotiable faith. And then there's a, the, a really satisfying station known as the fruit of the Spirit. Boy, that's a great one. Quite hard to, to let the fruit burst forth in us on some of those, you know. But it's there. They're all qualities of love, actually, when you, when you look at them. So there's the fruit of the Spirit. Then you've got the gifts of the spirit and then of course Christ's ministry gifts to the church all of these things need to be dealt with on our journey but equally I mentioned before it's not just about stopping off to learn we need to stop to drop off as well we need to drop off the baggage the stuff that is ungodly the the clay and the wood if you like out of that passage on holiness we need to be leaving those behind whatever our issues are Leave them behind and go forward with God. Vitally important to us. Vitally important to us. So coming to a close. We should always be looking out for new passengers. That's the gospel train. Remembering that passengers become crew. There'll be some passengers in here. There'll be some crew in here. But I'll tell you what, all of us can be crew. It's merely a frame of mind. It's our attitude that changes that. Otherwise, we limit God and we stay passengers. So that's our choice. When we consider all aspects of Christian ministry, they eventually lead to one end product, the gospel. This is what turns anything we do from being just good works into God's work. Nothing else. It's the gospel that makes the difference. And that's our challenge. Are we a holy people hungry for God's word and eagerly desiring to minister in his spirit? 
Or are we content with who we are and with the little we've got? Always remembering that if we've only got a little, we can only give a little. Think about that one. And then again, we can have all the teaching in the world. But if we don't obey it or make use of it, then it's all just been a waste of time. Round and round in the circles like a passenger who sits by a window watching the scenery fly by saying, Oh, that's interesting. Or even worse, are we there yet? Is it over yet? Because I've got other things I want to be doing. Come on, church. I'm not criticising. God's challenging us all. He's challenging us all. We're together on this gospel train to glory. And it's up to each one of us where we go and how we get there. And with a heart of love and sound teaching, we can help each other along the line and over the line. So that each of us can say... I have fought the good fight. I have won the race. Or if you like, I've finished the course. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4 verse 7. As Kate comes and sings to us now, please reflect on these things. These are what are going to turn us from passengers into crew. And when Pastor Mark there has got a church full of crew, boy, you watch this area change. You just watch it change. Do you know why it'll change? Because we've changed. Hallelujah.